All right, well, I'm going to invite Lisa to come up and do the scripture reading. She's going to do the reading uh, both in Japanese and in English uh, as a reminder that, that the gospel isn't just for this room. It's not just for Washington or the United States. It's, it's for the world, and this is just a reminder. All right, I've got Acts 23, 6 to 8 in Japanese and uh, 9 through 11 in English. So, itte Paolo wa kigai ni sadokai jin mo ireba parisai jin mo irukoto ni kizuki kou sakebimashita. Minasan, watashi wa senzo daidai no parisai jin desu. Watashi ga ima koko de sabakarete iru no wa shisha no fukkatsu wo shinjite iru kara na no desu. Kono kotoba de kigai wa parisai ha to sadokai ha ni then a great clamor arose, and some of the scribes of the Pharisees' party stood up and contended sharply. We find nothing wrong in this man. What if a spirit or an angel spoke to him? And when the dissension became violent, the tribune, afraid that Paul would be torn to pieces by them, commanded the soldiers to go down and take him away from them by force and bring him into the barracks. The following night, the Lord stood by him and said, Take courage, for as you have testified to the facts about me in Jerusalem, so you must testify also in Rome. Says the word of the Lord. Amen. This is my, I make this pitch every time. Hi, everybody. I'm Steve. If we haven't met yet, I'll be honest with you. I'll probably forget that we met, and we can meet again. It'll be fun. We'll just keep meeting until I remember. And then you're going to take your masks off, and then we're going to have to do it all again. It'll be great. That's twice I've told that joke today, so you're welcome. All right. My pitch every time I get up and speak after that is that we continue to read the scripture in uh, multiple languages every single Sunday because even after we stop studying the book of Acts, the gospel is still for all peoples. And so I think that we should always be reminded of it. Plus, I think it's really super cool. And I just think that we should do it all the time. I also think it's super cool that we have a bunch of people in our church that speak multiple languages. I speak two. English and Southern. These are the two languages that I speak. I don't know. We're just messing around now. I don't even know what's happening. All right. Let's see if we can get down to some serious stuff here. Um, We've been talking about courage. We're going to talk a lot about that this morning. Um, But I'm hoping that I can be open and honest with all of you. Can I do that? Is that okay? Sometimes I get exhausted. Do you guys get exhausted? When I talk about exhausted too, I mean, I used to uh, do real manual physical labor. I worked in a sheet metal shop and um, I've been in apartment maintenance for a lot of years Um, and I've done some real physical labor and I've gone home exhausted, but I have never gone home as exhausted as when I am mentally and emotionally exhausted. It's a different feel, isn't it? You guys know what I'm talking about? Sometimes I get that way. You ever felt defeated? I do. You ever feel discouraged? 
I get that way. You ever felt like you just can't keep going? I feel that way. Do you guys feel that? Am I the only one that feels that? It's okay if I am. But I mean, I just tell you, I'm just being honest with you. Sometimes I feel that way. And um, if you don't know it or not, there's a lot that's happened this past year. We went through a global pandemic, in case you're unaware. I don't know how that handled or that affected you personally. Um, For me, it totally disrupted my work life. Um, School disruptions, having to learn a new way to uh, make sure that my high schooler gets to school. Some of you have younger kids and had to deal with all of that. And the, the company that I work for, we provide affordable housing. And I, when this event first happened and all of the elementary school kids were going to have to stay home and learn uh, online, I got to thinking about all of those single moms that have to get up and go to work every day and don't have family and friends and churches that surround them. And what were they going to do? And how were they going to make it? Lots of disruptions. And then, of course, with the global pandemic, lots of people got sick. Some people even died. Lots of people died. When we, can, when we focus on those things, when I do, sometimes I can become fearful. What's going to happen? How is this going to work out? So what are we supposed to do? What am I supposed to do when I become fearful like that, when I feel that? So this morning we're going to continue our story that Aaron introduced us to uh, last week when he told us that this was like a big John Grisham novel full of um, courtroom intrigue. And I'm going to be honest with you. Let me ask this question first before I say this. Are there any lawyers in the room? I'm looking around. Good. I don't like lawyers. (laughs) Lawyers make things complicated, difficult. Do you know what I mean? You say, well, I've got a friend that's a lawyer, and he makes things really clear and easy for me to understand. Yeah, sometimes, like, even in, in the elders' meetings, they start talking about paperwork. Hey, we need to work on this document, and this is what I do. Oh. I don't like any of that stuff. Where am I going with this? Oh, lots of intrigue. (laughs) I'll catch back up. Lots of courtroom intrigue. So we're going to continue this story, but I'm going to focus on this one important moment that happens in the center of that. And before we dive into all of this, let me uh, pray for us as we get started. Father, we thank you for the opportunity to come together and to sing your praises and to worship your name. And now, Lord, as we Uh, Open your word and study it, Father. We just pray that you would uh, help us to focus our attention on you, that we might be drawn closer to you and be made more like you. And Lord, we say these things in Jesus' name. Amen. So we're going to talk about uh, this story. We're going to continue that together. And as we're looking at what Paul goes through, I'm just going to kind of narrate this for you. I'm not going to read the whole thing. I am going to read a small section of it. Um, But as we go through this, I want you to put yourself in Paul's shoes. 
Now, when we start talking about Paul, you'll remember some of these stories. Remember the story when they were at Ephesus and he disrupted the entire financial structure of that town and they had a big meeting. We call those mobs, you know what I mean? That showed up and Paul was like, I'll go out there right now and I will tell them that Jesus is king and I'll do it. Remember? And his buddies were like, whoa, 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 they will kill you. You can't go out there and do that. Now, this same guy, I want you to put yourself in his shoes. Now, I don't know about you. I'm not that bravado. If, if there was a big mob that was going to kill me, I would be hopping in the limo and hitting the road, right? I would not be running out there. But Paul was a guy that would run out there. The reason I'm telling you this is because I want you to think about what happens as we go through this story and what uh, Paul does. So put yourself in his shoes. Think about what he must have been feeling And I want you to notice a couple of things about how he maneuvers through the system, using the system for his advantage. But most of all, I want you to notice that no matter what happens, Paul always trusts God. And this is important for us to remember. Even in doing so, even though he might be afraid in all of those things, he is always courageous. Right? And that's what we're talking about today is being courageous. So let me read this section to you, and then um, I'll kind of run through the story and get us where we need to go. I'm going to start, if you've got your Bibles with you, and I hope that you do, because when we come together like this, one of the things that we do is study the Bible. And it's easier for you to study the Bible if you have one in your hands. Now, I'm a Luddite, so I like the paper kind. You might not be a Luddite, and so everybody's going to go Google that word. Um, You might not be a Luddite, and you might have your tablet or your phone, and all of that is great. But when we come together to study God's word, I always love to have God's word with me. I'm going to read to you from chapter 22, verse number 30, all the way through 2311. That's a lot of scripture, but if you didn't come here to read a lot of scripture, what's your problem? Besides that... If we were uh, in the, the Jewish community back in the Old Testament, they read the first five books of the Bible every time they got together. We can start it if you want. I mean, I do okay. All right, here we go. Verse 30 says, The next day, since he wanted to find out exactly why Paul was being accused by the Jews, he released him and instructed the chief priests and all the Sanhedrin to convene. Let me stop there for a second because I've got to catch you up. Some of you have been asleep since last week, and so you don't remember that at the end of the... So remember, at the end of 22, um, uh, these guys get really angry. The Sanhedrin gets really angry, and they're beating the devil out of Paul. I mean, that's not right. They're beating him up. He didn't have any devil in him, right? I I don't know. Anyway, they're beating him up real bad, and the Romans, who value stability more than anything else in the world, are not going to allow this chaos to continue on, so they run down and they grab Paul. Remember, they bring him inside, and then he says to them in Greek, hey, um, can I go back out and speak to these people? And these Romans are like, "Eh, that sounds like a good idea. Let's do that. And so they stick him back out there, and uh, he starts uh, speaking, and everybody listens, and he's doing fine all the way until he gets to the part where he says, um, God told me that I was going to take this message to the Gentiles. And then they get all upset again, and they start ripping their clothes and throwing sand in the air and all of that. And so the Romans drag Paul back inside, and they keep him there, and they're going to beat him just for giggles. 
And Paul says, is it cool if you do that to a Roman citizen? See how he's using the system? And then they go, oh, you're a Roman citizen. Well, we won't beat you. Uh, We'll just leave you here overnight. And then tomorrow, though, because they're curious about what all of this uproar was about, they're going to send him out there and let him talk to the Sanhedrin. For uh, they, They want the Sanhedrin to come there and to speak to him. So let's continue on. I caught you all up. Everybody caught up where we're at? You can say, yeah, it's okay. Or you can say, no, you're a crazy person. All right. He brought Paul down uh, and uh, placed him before them. Paul looked straight at the Sanhedrin and said, Brothers, I have lived my life before God in all good conscience to this day. The high priest Ananias ordered those who were standing next to him to strike him on the mouth. And then Paul said to him, God is going to strike you, you whitewashed wall. You are sitting there judging me according to the law, and yet in violation of the law, you are ordering me to be struck. Those standing nearby said, do you dare revile God's high priest? Paul says, I didn't know, brothers, that this was the high priest. For it is written, you must not speak evil of a ruler or your people. When Paul realized that one part of them were Sadducees and the other part were Pharisees, he cried out in the Sanhedrin, Brothers, I am a Pharisee, a son of Pharisees. I am being judged because of the hope of the resurrection of the dead. And when he had said this, a dispute broke out between the Pharisees and the Sadducees, and the assembly was divided. For the Sadducees say there is no resurrection, and neither angel nor spirit, but the Pharisees affirm them all. The shouting grew loud, and some of the scribes and the Pharisees party got up and argued vehemently. I probably pronounced that wrong. We find nothing evil in this man. What if a spirit or an angel had spoken to him? When the dispute became violent, the commander feared that Paul might be torn apart by them and ordered the troops to go down and take him away from them and bring him to the barracks. The following night, the Lord stood by him and said, have courage for as you have testified about me in Jerusalem, so it is necessary for you to testify in Rome. So let's talk a little bit about the story here. So in the beginning here, Paul is released to the Sanhedrin, right? The Sanhedrin begin to uh, question him. Uh, the high priest orders him to get uh, smacked in the mouth. Uh, And then he speaks against the high priest. And then when they tell him it's the high priest, then Paul, um, being respectful and reverting back to the law that we don't speak evil against the rulers, does so. But then uh, Paul stirs up a hornet's nest. And I really love this. So I'm going to teach you something. And and if you've heard this before, just nod and and go along with it. And if you haven't heard it before, hey, you're going to learn something new. The Sanhedrin was made up of two particular groups of theological thought. The Pharisees and the Sadducees. Now, there were more groups of theological thought within the Jewish community. There were also the Essenes, the Stoic, and the Hellenists. You guys know what all of those people thought and and believed? Okay, here we go. You guys are so quiet, man. Okay, so the Essenes, which was probably what John the Baptist uh, was raised in. Hence, therefore, Jesus was probably raised in this one as well. Uh, was a group of people that were kind of um, uh, minimalists. They like to keep life simple, right? So if you think about John the Baptist, he was uh, out in the wilderness and and wore uh, animals' clothing and, and ate locusts and honey and all of that kind of stuff. 
Then you have the, the Stoics, and they just kind of believed that uh, life is what it is and that you should just uh, stand there and take it, right? And then you had the Hellenists, and they thought, hey, this Greek world is pretty good. Let's don't behave like Jews at all. Let's behave like the world does. Then you had the Pharisees and the Sadducees. Now I'm going to teach you a little trick on how to remember what they believed. How many of you know the trick that I'm about to teach you? There's a couple of hands. Okay, here comes a good one. All right, the Pharisees, you can always remember what they believed in because they believed in a strict adherence to the law and they believed that everything should be fair and legal. They're Pharisees. Do you see? Now, the Sadducees, they didn't believe in the resurrection or the supernatural or spiritual things or basically even an existence outside of this body. And so because of that, they were sad, you see. (laughs) Because they didn't believe in the resurrection. That's how you can remember. Now, Paul's sitting in this room, and he's got this whole group of the Sanhedrin is in front of him. And he realizes, hey, half of these guys are Pharisees and believe in the supernatural. Half of these guys don't believe in anything, and they're just sad. Let's see if we can get them fighting. It'll be cool. And so he stirs the pot, right? He says, hey, guys, I'm a Pharisee, just like you guys are Pharisees. Now the Sadducees are like, well, this is really sus. That was for the kids out there. That's short for suspicious. Sometimes I get lost in my own mind. So he stirs up this hornet's nest, man. He gets it really going fast. These guys are fighting at each other, man. They're really struggling because the Pharisees are like, well, maybe he heard this from an angel or from uh, another spiritual realm. Maybe God spoke to him directly. And the Sadducees are like, you guys are nuts. That stuff doesn't happen. That was all metaphor in the Old Testament. None of that stuff happened at all. You guys are crazy. And so he starts a big fight. Now, again, this is Paul being wise and using the things, right? Using the system that's around him. So remember, he got out of being beaten and said, hey, I'm a Roman citizen. And then now he's going to get out of this mess by causing a big mess amongst themselves, right? Stirring up the stink. And so then, of course, Paul is retrieved by the Romans. And then here's, we're going to, I'm going to mention this and then we're going to come back to it. I'm going to move right along. There's a point here where Paul is taken back into the barracks and he's, it's overnight and he has a vision. And in this vision, God tells him, have courage for you have testified about me in Jerusalem. So it's necessary for you to testify in me in Rome. We're going to come back and spend a lot of time on that. So I want to keep going. Following that, there's a plot to kill. As the story continues, there's a plot to kill Paul. And Paul's nephew hears about it. And he goes and he tells Paul, and Paul says, uh, wow, that's some really cool information. You should go and tell the commander about that. Now, the information that his nephew had received is that there were a group of men that had made a vow that they would not eat until Paul was dead, right? That's where, they're, that's where the, these, this group of guys is at. So the nephew goes and he tells the commander, hey, they're going to, uh, they've made this plan. They're going to kill Paul. They're going to ask you to bring him out and then they're just going to kill him. And that's the way it's going to happen. So the commander's like, well, that's not good. He's a Roman citizen. Uh, All of this stuff is going on. This is a bad deal. So let's move him up to Caesarea and then he can uh, talk to uh, those guys up there. So they move him up to Caesarea by night. Now you say, 
boy, all this happens. Yeah, read it. Remember Aaron told you, read ahead. Read the whole story in its whole totality, and then you'll, you'll be able to keep up. So yeah, he's, they, they take him up to um, Caesarea. He gets up to Caesarea. The guy at Caesarea says, and that's the technical term for the guy, the guy. The guy at Caesarea says, um, uh, well, I'm, gonna, I'm not going to uh, listen to this until your accusers get here. Um, the uh, Sanhedrin sends up a lawyer. And the lawyer then tells him, uh, you know, this is all the stuff that he's done. The guy's a ramble rouser and he's causing lots of problems and he's stirring up a lot of stink and all of this. And Paul's like, none of that is true. He said, I came into the temple and I was purified and to do so. There was no Gentiles with me. And then these guys started the mess. So they're the ones that really should be on trial for stirring up all of this stuff, not me. Then he goes on and, and, and Felix comes down and, and uh, his wife is a Jew and he understands kind of about the difference between the Jewish uh, folks and the people of the way, which I wish that one would have stuck. Wouldn't it be cooler to be people of the way, right? Why didn't that one stick instead of the, the, the one that was meant in mocking, you know, Christians? Oh, look at all the little Jesuses running around. Isn't that sweet? That's the one that stuck. I want to be people of the way. Can we just do it? Can we just make it a thing? I got an amen from Pastor Kyle. We're going to go with that. <laughs> that means it's a thing. All right. So he goes through all of that. And then the end result of all of this back and forth. And there's a very famous phrase that, uh, that Felix says here that um, there was even songs written about it. You know, some more convenient day. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to bring you back and, and have you tell me more about the way. Right? And of course, the issue there is, is that there is no more convenient day than today to hear the gospel message. At the end of this, Paul is left in prison because, as all good politicians do, he was afraid of the people and he wanted to find favor in their eyes. And so he just left Paul in prison for two years. Right? That's the story. That's the whole story that I'm going to talk about today. I want to jump back, though, to chapter 23, verse number 11. Here's our big, this is the big bullet point for today that I'm going to tell you. We can be courageous because Jesus is already victorious. We can be courageous because Jesus is already victorious. Verse 11 of chapter 23, this is what it says. Paul has a vision. The following night, the Lord stood by him and said, Have courage, for as you have testified about me in Jerusalem, so it is necessary for you to testify in Rome. As if Paul needed any more incentive to keep going. I believe it was already in his nature to be courageous and outspoken. And I think a lot of that has to do with his personal build and drive. You remember, he was zealous about destroying the people of the way. And then when he became a follower of Jesus, he became just as zealous about creating people of the way as he was about destroying them. So in case, in case you're getting it here, is that even if this guy needs it, how much more do you and I need that encouragement from the Lord to be courageous? So we can be courageous because Jesus is already victorious. I've got three things. Three which means we're going to be here another five minutes or we're going to be here another hour and a half. Aaron told me that I could preach 
for a minimum of 12 hours. He said that two, three weeks ago. That's not true. He didn't say that. Here's the three things. First one is this. This courage that we've been talking about. Where does it come from? Is it from me? Is it from my abilities? Is it from my heart? Is it from my personality? Is it from my wiring? No, absolutely not. Our courage comes from the Lord. We read the verse earlier from Joshua 1, 9. I'm going to read it to you again. Haven't I commanded you, God says to Joshua, be strong and courageous and do not be afraid or discouraged for the Lord your God is with you wherever you go. Now, my dad used to say this. My dad was a pastor, if you don't know. If you haven't met me and we haven't talked, you probably don't know. My dad was a pastor. He used to say this about us as a family. He would say, I would much rather you be all the way around the world in God's will than across the street out of God's will. These, the sentiment there is, is that if you're in God's will, you're safe and he can rest in that. If you're out of God's will, it doesn't even matter if you're within my grasp. You're in a whole lot more danger than you are when you're in it. Do you follow me? Our courage comes from the Lord. In this story where, where we get this verse, Joshua 1, 9, Joshua is, uh, Moses has just died. Joshua is in charge of all of the children of Israel. He's going to take them into the promised land and Remember the promised land, 40 years back, Joshua and Caleb and uh, 10 other guys went over the the river and looked at the land. The 10 other guys were like, wow, it's full of giants and big grape clusters and ah, and they were freaked out. Joshua and Caleb said, hey, God can do it, right? And then it comes time for them 40 years later because you got to clear all of the riffraff out. 40 years later, they come down and and he says, hey, we're here, we're ready to go. And this is what God says. I commanded you, be strong and courageous. Do not be afraid or discouraged for the Lord your God is with you wherever you go. Now, here's the beautiful part. What God did in this, uh, in moving, giving the promised land to to the Israelites, what God did was he defeated all of those armies before they ever got started. Now, here's what that means. This is why we can be courageous. God's already fighting the battle that you're going to go through. All you got to do is just go for the ride. Now, sometimes that ride's bumpy, yeah? But God's always got it. And we can have courage and we can be courageous because of it. So, let me give you some application for you for that. You being courageous. Remember, it's been a tough year. Global pandemic, work, school, kids, sick, death, everyday life troubles, relational troubles, all the things that we go through, all of the things that we go through. None of these things are a surprise to God, and he has already taken care of it. Now, I don't know what taking care of it looks like, and neither do you. But if we trust him and walk in him, we don't walk in fear. We walk in courage in what he's already done. You see, I read the end of the book, guys. This part. Back here. 
You know what it says? It says God wins. That's what it says. So you get to make a choice now today. You can be on God's team because he wins. Or you're going to be on not God's team because they don't win. This is the choice. You got to see the end of the game. Right? God wins. Let's be on his team. Our courage comes from the Lord. Secondly, our courage relies on the Lord. Even Paul prayed for boldness. Look at this verse in from Ephesians. Pray also for me that the message may be given to me when I open my mouth to make known with boldness the mystery of the gospel. Paul is asking the church at Ephesus to pray for him for boldness. The guy that we just read about and heard the story of that stirred up stink in the Sanhedrin that, dis- that wanted to go out in, in Ephesus and tell them all about Jesus, which had just destroyed their entire economic system. This guy who has no problem ever turning around and saying, yes, but Jesus is asking the church at Ephesus to pray for him for boldness to speak the mystery of the gospel. Now think about that. If Paul will do all of that, maybe you're that way. Maybe you're not that way. But if Paul was praying for boldness, how much more should we be praying for boldness? Because remember, our courage doesn't rely on our strength. It relies on the Lord. It relies on God. God is the one that's going to encourage you. God is the one that's going to strengthen you. God is the one that's going to carry you through. It's not you. It's not what you can do. It's not in your talents, your abilities, your skills. It's none of those things. It's not in your giftings. It's not in your Enneagram. It is only in Christ and what he does through you. So our courage relies on the Lord. Thirdly, I was going to say lastly, but that would be a lie. Thirdly, our courage is proved by the Lord. We can be courageous because we know he will not leave us. Here's what it says in the book of Deuteronomy. I got a couple of verses for you here. Deuteronomy, it says, Be strong and courageous. Do not be terrified or afraid of them. For the Lord your God is the one who will go with you. He will not leave you or abandon you. This is again at the end of Moses' life. God reminds the children of Israel, don't be afraid of those people that are on the other side of that river. I have already delivered them into your hand and I will go with you and I will never leave you nor will I abandon you. And in case you think that uh, that. God in his courage statements only come from the Old Testament. Here is what Jesus said to us. All authority has been given to me in heaven and on earth. Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe everything I have commanded you. And remember, I am with you always to the end of the age. 
You know what one of the coolest things about faith? When you have faith, we think about faith as having faith in something that's just out there that we can't see, that we don't know, and we're just going to throw that faith out there and we're just going to trust. And surely there is a part of putting our faith in something that we haven't seen. But the coolest thing about having faith in God is that faith in God is easy because we can look into our past and see what he has already done for us. And our faith then has a foundation that God has already proven himself faithful. Now you say, what are you talking about? So here's a little bit more about me. In 2013, um, we were on our 10th year of a church plant down in Florida. And that church had grown and fallen apart and grown and fallen apart and was in the upswing and growing. And God began to impress upon our hearts that it was time to uh, hand that work over to uh, somebody else and to move on from that work and to move to Washington State about as far as you can get from where we were in Florida. And... We didn't know how we were going to do that or how that was going to work or what we were going to do when we got here even. I assumed I was going to come here and plant another church. That was the assumption. So I looked for a lot of jobs in Washington State from Florida. And I remember having one um, job interview and the guy on the other line. His name was Ashley. It still is. (laughs) He hasn't changed his name. He said to me, he said, you won't have any problems finding a job when you get here. That was in the middle of an interview. You guys know what the rest of that sentence is though, right? But not with us, right? He never said those words, but that's what I heard. And so to tell you the truth, I didn't have a job and we thought we had a place to stay lined out when we got here and about halfway across the country with all of our worldly goods packed into a 22 foot moving truck, MJ and Derek following behind in our Ford Exploder. Those are Chevy people laughing right now like, yes, that's right. We found out that the place that we were going to land was no longer available to us. And so now I have stepped out on faith based on what I believed was God's will for our lives. And we are halfway across the country and I have no job and no house. Now, thankfully, uh, MJ's uh, family, MJ's my wife, in case you don't know. Her family is in the area, and so her brother said, hey, all, there was four of us, that, there was five of us in our family. There, are, there were four of us that came with the trip. Our middle son stayed to uh, go to, to finish the semester of high school. 
Uh, and if you've ever seen my kids, they're not small people. Um, and so my brother-in-law says, hey, you can stay on our couch uh, until you figure something out. So the four of us slept on my brother-in-law's couch in his two-bedroom apartment for two weeks. And uh, every day, the four of us got up and hopped in the exploder uh, and drove around town looking for work and all of this. Now, I tell you this story to just tell you this. The end result of that is, is that that same guy that I talked to on the phone, whose name was still Ashley, um, I ended up with a job with that company, which I still work for them today, and they provided housing for me. Now, you can say, what does that have to do with the price of rice in China and being courageous and all of those kinds of things? Here's what it has to do. Bring this all around to you. When our courage is proven by the Lord. The reason I was able to get all of my stuff into that moving truck and start without a job and without a place to land was because I was trusting God to take care of everything all along the way. I could tell you all kinds of stories about how about halfway through I realized that I had miscalculated the amount of gas I was going to need for that big gas-guzzling beast that I was driving through the mountains and we were not going to make it financially from point A to point B. I could tell you that when we landed on, in that apartment that I had $1,000 to my name, period, end of story, and I was going to have to try to get into a house. Have you ever tried to get into a house or an apartment with $1,000? Nigh unto impossible. But we serve a great God, and he said, this is what I want you to do, and I'm going to provide for you every step of the way. And he did. And here we are, however many, uh, you can do the math on that. That was in 2013. And I can tell you right now that any courage that I can muster in myself is because God has proven himself to me by being faithful every step of the way. And I'm telling you that you can be courageous because God will prove himself faithful every step of the way. Now, here's what Paul wrote to Timothy. So I'm going to kind of wrap this up for you. God has not given us a spirit of fear, but one of power and love and sound judgment. The opposite of courage is fear. And there's a lot of reasons to be fearful today. Granted, there are a lot of reasons to be fearful today. There's a lot of awful, terrible stuff happening in the world. And if you focus your attention on all of the stuff that's happening in the world, you'll realize very quickly that humans are terrible to one another. We are awful, evil, the things that we do to one another. And if you focus your attention on that and you dwell in that, you are going to be encompassed by fear all the time. But remember, I read the end of the book. Right? And the end of the book says, God wins. And here he says, I haven't given you the spirit of fear, but of power and love and sound judgment. He's given us a spirit of power. Not me being powerful, him being powerful. He gave me the spirit of love. I am incapable of love. I am a self-centered, selfish person that does not care about anybody. But Christ in me 
loves everybody. He didn't give me this, the, uh, he gave me a power of sound judgment, meaning that when I find myself in these situations and I find myself feeling surrounded by fear, I need to stop and realize that there are things that I do that I can do, like Paul turning the Sanhedrin on itself, like Paul using his Roman citizenship in the power of the Holy Spirit, knowing what needs to be done. What he didn't give us was a spirit of fear. You don't get to be afraid because he's got it. He's in charge. Let me, let me finish with this final statement. We can be courageous because it is finished. Now here in a week or so, we're going to celebrate Easter. I mean, we celebrate Easter every Sunday, right? But here in a few weeks, we're going to celebrate Easter. And one of the great things about Easter is the resurrection. I mean, it's the whole point. Paul said even, um, without the resurrection, Christians are to be most pitied among all people. Right? This is what we're all looking forward to is this resurrection. And that's in a couple of weeks we're going to talk about that. But you know, between Christ's earthly, earthly ministry and his resurrection, there was a whole lot of trouble. There was a whole lot of trouble. And Jesus, who the Bible said set his face towards the work that God had called him to, courageously walked himself into the hands of the Romans where they beat him and scourged him, mocked him, put a crown of thorn on his head, put a reed in his hand to mock him as being king, put a robe of purple around him, mocking him, made him carry his cross down the Via Della Rosa, all the way to Calvary, where they nailed him to it, and he hung there, and the Bible tells us that he became sin for us. And as he was hanging on that cross, he said a lot of phrases, John, your mother, mother, this is your son. But at the very end, we are told in Scripture that as he was hanging on that cross, his arms outstretched, he cried in the Greek, Teletelestai! It is finished. And he bowed his head and he gave up the spirit. That phrase, it is finished, also means paid in full. It also means that the work of redemption is complete. It is finished. And because it is finished, I don't have to live in fear. I live in courage. Because it is finished. Jesus has already won. We have absolutely nothing to fear. So my admonition to you this morning is for you to remember that in the completed work of Christ on the cross, 
you can have courage and you can live your life in that courage because Christ has already done the work. Let's pray together. Father, we thank you for sending your son to die on the cross for us. Lord, we pray now that as we come to your table to celebrate the death and burial of, uh, and resurrection of Jesus Christ, Lord, we pray that you would always encourage us, that we might live courageously because you have done the work. And Father, we say these things in Jesus' name. Amen.